Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And speaking of embracing life, everyone loves reading a gripping tale of intrigue and suspense, and few writers can claim to keep millions of readers actually over 130 million of us, eagerly turning pages like best-selling author David Baldacci. David's just added another book to his already impressive list. It's called Redemption, and he's joining us today to share all about it. I'm excited to talk with you again, David, so welcome. Thank you. It's great to be back. Well, and I mentioned I have had the great pleasure uh, to interview you on a number of occasions. And what amazes me, besides other things that would obviously amaze me, is not only do you write bestsellers all the time, but you've got such a wide range of topics and characters uh, that you write about. In fact, last time we were talking about Vega Jane uh, with The Stars Below, which was the final book. But in my my own opinion, one of my all-time favorites is Amos Decker. So for the few people who don't know about Amos Decker, tell us a little bit about his background and the, uh, the condition that he has. All right. When we first met Amos Decker in a book I wrote a number of years ago called Memory Man, he was a professional football player briefly, and on a kickoff, he was blindsided on the field, a vicious hit, nearly killed him, and he suffered a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. When he came out of his coma, he had a condition called hyperthalmesia, which is perfect recall. Basically, the brain rewired itself around the damaged part of his brain, opened up other pathways that he had never utilized before, and now he has perfect recall, which is what hyperthalmesia is. You can either get it through a TBI or you're born with it. So he goes on to become a police officer and then a detective, and having a perfect memory is a great attribute if he's doing that because he can instantly see when somebody's lying or it's his contradiction contradictory statements or something he sees out there doesn't make sense with something else he's seen. So he sort of had like this personal computer in his own head. But that hit also changed who he was. Before he was injured, he was outgoing, gregarious, fun-loving, and his personality changed because his brain changed. Now he's sort of aloof. He might be on the spectrum somewhere. He's socially inept, has a hard time getting along with people. He understands that, but he woke up one day and became, and he was a different person. So that's pretty traumatic. Um, and that's the downside to what happened to him. Uh, so now in, in Redemption, this is the fifth novel. And I just I love writing his character because he keeps evolving in so many different ways. And in this book, I wanted to show the vulnerability that he had. That, um, he's at a, at a cemetery visiting his, his wife's and his daughter's grave. It would have been his daughter's 14th birthday. They were brutally murdered in a, in a, in a crime that was connected to one of Decker's cases years ago. So it's a very solemn, somber moment the book opens. And He's only there with one other person, his friend and FBI special agent, Alex Jameson. While he's you know, attending to the graves, this man comes out of the tree line and comes over to him and, and introduces himself as a guy named Merle Hawkins. And Decker instantly recognizes the name. Hawkins was the first man he, person he'd ever arrested for homicide when he was a rookie detective. And Hawkins is now at a prison, which will be revealed why in the book. But he lays down a unique challenge to, to Decker. He says you were wrong about me. I'm innocent. Now I want you to have a second chance, prove that I'm innocent, and also prove that you were wrong. Will you do it? 
And obviously Decker accepts that challenge because he's all about the truth. He doesn't really care if it's going to reflect badly on him that he might have screwed up. But I wanted to show people that even though he has this perfect memory, he's still a human being. He makes mistakes. We all do. So that's, that's the vulnerable side of Decker when he accepts his challenge. Wow. Well, I, and I am just fascinated by, and I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing, but hyperthymesia, is that the way you said it? Yeah. But yep. I, I was, in fact, I was doing a little of my own research in preparation for this interview, and it depends on where you look on the Internet, but I've read as few as 12 people have this, you know, that have been proven cases of having this condition in the world. Uh, actress Mary Lou Henner is supposed to be one of them. But how yes. did you, I mean, did you read about this in the paper? Because I can imagine with your imagination, that must have sparked something that create Decker. Yeah, it did. It was. It was. I've been fascinated by the brain, and you know, um, people always say, "Oh, you know, you you must be a right brain kind of guy because you're more autistic and you're writing and all that." And the people who love math and are good at that or left brain. I'm like, what does that even mean? You know, left. You know, left brain, right brain. The brain is something that we don't really understand. Even in 2019, we have no idea how this thing works. It's just so complicated. It's like a billion computers inside our head. Um, so I read a book years ago called Born on a Blue Tuesday. It was about a guy who has synesthesia, which is sort of parallel to hypothemesia. It's when your sensory pathways in your head are commingled. It could be at birth. It could be because of an injury. So, for instance, when you see numbers, you associate numbers with color. You know, the number two could be orange and number three could be red. Ah. Um, you know, people who are musicians, Mozart was speculated as having synesthesia where he would see musical scores as brilliant colors in his head. It's made him more creative and more vibrant. Um, then I started reading about other brain conditions, and hyperthemesia was one of those. And I thought, you know, there's perfect memory. That's amazing. You know, um, you, could, you could be born with it like Mary Lou Henner was, or you get it through a TBI. And I thought, you know, I'm going to create a character with this. He's going to have gotten it through a TBI as a football player, which is plausible. And then he's going to have, you know, it's going to be a both a blessing and a curse um, because he has a lot of things he'd rather forget. And it's also the big thing for me was it's going to change his personality. It's going to make him somebody he doesn't even recognize, and he has to live with that. So that was great material, dramatic material for the creation of a character. And I think that's why Decker is so unique and why people love him so much because there's nothing else like him out there. Well, yes, and I was just thinking too, uh, David, in one of our pre previous interviews, you told me, now I'm not sure if this is still true, but you don't use a storyboard, you don't even use an outline, and I just wonder if you have a touch of hyperthymesia to be able to keep all these little twists and turns. I mean, it just, how do you keep it all straight in your head? Yeah, you know, I do have an. Uh, I have to admit, I have a really good memory. It's not in Amos Decker's league, but I do remember things that are important for me, and I can remember them in great detail. So I, you know, keeping all these things in my head is not that big of a deal for me because I really feel like I live it, I obsess it, I fixate over it. So it would be like, you know, forgetting one of my kids' names. It would be impossible for me to do that. So when I create these characters, I know everything about them intimately, and it just, you know, that knowledge doesn't go away. Um, because I think I'm just I'm fully immersed in the world that I'm creating, um, and that's you know that I'm not I good wanted to ask you too. Like, oh, 
I, I would beg to differ because I do, before we have to close, I want to make sure that we do, we talk about the um, the work that you do with your wife. But, but just one yes. more point on the writing. You do, I was wondering how you do that. So you do, you spend a certain number of hours every day or you just kind of, you're always inhabiting the characters like you say and just kind of they're in your head until you complete the book? Yeah, you know, I don't write at a certain time during the day or a certain number of hours. I write every day until my tank is empty. And then that might be one page or ten words or no words. The next day might be uh, 30 pages or, you know, 5,000 words. It doesn't really matter what the words or the page count is. It's just I'm I'm done. I have nothing left to write that day. And then I go home, I think about it some more, and I come back the next day and I do some more on it. And at the end of something, eventually you have something. <laughs> Well, and then one last thing before we go on uh, with, the, again, what you're doing with your wife, but do you, is it a little kind of depressing? Is it, a, a, you know, a downer when you finally finish, or are you thinking, oh, thank goodness, on to the next one, that one's over? <laughs> it's a little of both, actually. I think first is a little bit of depression. It's like, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be away from this person for a while now, and you're, it's like you, you're waving goodbye to a friend who's getting on a boat and they're going to be gone for a while. Yeah. Um, but then there also is a little bit of relief thinking, you know, I, I've been with this for a long time. Um, I've said everything I wanted to say, and now it's time to move on to fresh territory and go do something else. So it's, it's both positive and a negative. Well, uh, as I was saying, I, I can't wait to hear what's else and what's coming up next. But let's do spend a little time uh, with the Wish You Well Foundation. Tell us what that is. I think that's such a lovely, lovely thing to do. Yeah, my wife and I founded it about 17 years ago. We fund literacy organizations, initiatives, and programs across the country. And um, our goal is to eradicate illiteracy in the U.S. We're trying, and we over the years we've helped you know millions of people learn to read at the higher level. And the demand is only going up. And I can understand why because we live in an information age where I don't care what job you have. You need to have strong reading skills and cognitive skills. It's just the way the world works now. So the requests, you know, for assistance are, are going up exponentially. Where you know we would get a thousand grant requests a year, now it's four thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, wow. you know, to our foundation. And we fund as many as we possibly can. And we also collect books. And we partner with Feeding America. We collect books on my book tours and. We've shipped millions of books to food banks around the country. People seeking food assistance typically have lower reading skills. That's one reason why they're not self-sustaining completely. And we're trying to fill those homes up with books because I think that will have a great result. Well, David, on this very high note, I want to thank you. I wish I had time to ask you more questions. You're such a fascinating <laughs> guy, and, of course, your books are wonderful. But thank you so much for your time and sharing your creative and amazingly creative mind with us. Thank you. I always enjoy talking to you. Well, back at you, David. Uh, it has been a treat uh, on so many levels, and I know every one of you out there can't wait to get your hands on this latest book. Uh, I'll tell you from personal experience, it's a page-turner just like all the others. And, of course, Amos Decker, again, is not only a favorite of mine, but a favorite of many of you out there. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.